Human beings have been sharing stories for hundreds of thousands of years. And with those stories came the emotional, spiritual, and physical knowledge of the ancients. Shaman Durek, a sixth generation shaman and best selling author of Spirit Hacking, bridges the gap between science and spirituality and brings us back to our roots. He's here to bring forth the ancient wisdom of our elders, to help heal and bring happiness into our modern society. The time has come to end codependency and put the power back into people's hands. Welcome to the tribe. What is the shaman school? No. You're not going to be studying to pursue a career in shamanism or to bang a drum. The definition of shamanism is one who understands relationship. The shaman school offering reminds you how to have a better relationship with things and how to nurture these relationships, whether it be with yourself, the food you eat, the people you meet, your ancestry, community, the global community, animals, nature, and so forth. My goal is to demystify spirituality, to add a bit of science and understanding of how things operate in the energetic planes. The Shaman School's no-nonsense teaching explores all faculties of experience, from the physical, the emotional range, the mental capacity for information, dialogue, lexicon, energy, perception, awareness, how to understand the energy of currency, and so much more. Fundamental education teaches the basics that we need in society, how to read, write, add, subtract, pay our bills, or how to become doctors, artists, mechanics, etc. But the Shaman School is a school that we all should have been a part of, one that offers the additional tools needed to better understand who we are, why we think the way we do, what's going on behind the scenes, and what we are actually seeing and processing. Are you living well? Are you paying bills just to keep the roof over your head? Are you in a relationship but not fulfilled? Satisfaction cannot be lowered anymore by the inability to recognize possibility. Living well means fulfilling your ideas and your goals and your dreams and having the best time doing it. In the Shaman School, I've extracted the best from all of the world philosophies, religions, spiritual teachings, and theories, offering a juice without pulp that will empower your life. The Shaman School invites you to a world where you're able to seize the tools of understanding, where you're able to have fun and have more because you deserve more. Go to shamandurek.com and click on the Shaman School for the first step toward ultimate happiness and an understanding of your truest self. Let's make things easier and not harder for our life. We deserve that. See you soon. If we are moving through space in a way that is creating an energy shift that not only affects our planet, but affects other planets as well, we are transversing through dimensions Through our intelligence, we do not see yet. However, as we continue to raise our frequency, 
of our, our, our ability to observe instead of analyze, which a lot of you have heard me speak about before, we begin to open up the visual and feeling perspective that allows us to see those dimensional gates happening. A lot of times people can see those dimensional gates, like when they're looking and all of a sudden they see these lights on the side of their eyes. They're actually looking into, are connecting into another dimensional frequency. Doesn't mean that's the gate itself, but that's the frequency of the gate that you're being aware of. But then sometimes people think, oh, it's just something in my eye. I'm getting these like lights that are coming and they think it's just something in their eye, but it's not. You see, what does the world really know? Truly, what does the world really know? If human beings think that other life forms and other dimensions don't exist, that's because they don't really understand their own existence. Because if they did, then they would know that these other beings and other life forms do exist. Because when you acknowledge your own existence through the field of observation, you begin to recognize the subtle nuances of individual and collective spirit grouping that is held within you as an individual. So you're not just this one vessel with one spirit within this vessel. Every nuance within your personality and the way in which you perceive life is governed by individual spirits that have chosen collectively through love to be and become you. And as you move through life, you realize that they are all of the multidimensional aspects of what human beings refer to when they say, my past life. Because if I'm going to share it with you in this way, which is the, the understanding of the scope of perception from the understanding of science, as well as evolution, time, and as well as dimensional awareness, there is no past. So what you call the past is what you, what you would assume to be a fleeting moment based upon a referencing you were given of a linear projection. Now, let me just kind of flip that for you so you can really see it and understand it in its very most simplest form. Because you've been given the idea that something is moving forward and that there is this forward motion, you already assumed that the forward motion can't exist alone. So there must be a backwards motion as well, which you would call uh, a timeline or a linear perception, right? What if I told you that the idea of forward and the idea of backwards doesn't actually exist? And it only exists within the system of the matrix that created it that way so that you would continue an idea of momentum and an idea of time to be the constricting and restricting elemental force. Okay, because time is a created element. A lot of people don't understand that, 
So I'm going to explain that to you. Time is an element because it, it, it creates energy that propels and moves, motivates, and directs. That means it has its own consciousness created and accepted by our awareness of it. So therefore, it exists. So there, when something is being aware or made aware of, the way we say in shamanism is that you now have given it awareness of it. So therefore, it does exist. It does have consciousness. And the consciousness is held by who? Us. Every individual on the planet looks at a clock every single day and governs their life by time and energy that is governing them to make choices and decisions and take actions and to, to build a life, to fall in love, to, come, to create creativity in the world. Whatever it is that, is that makes you jump up and take the kids to school and, and you know, meet your person at this time and do this thing at this time, it's all governed by this energy source that we've collectively accepted as a part of our dynamic understanding of consciousness. Now, if I was to pluck you out of that experience and give you an understanding from the spiritual experience, which is that the time that you have has been governed by another system that enforces that time. So, and that would be linear projection. So as we were just talking before about the understanding of linear projection, I wanted to throw in time so you can understand how each elemental force has been used to govern another force, which is how our bodies work, how the ecosystem operates, how you operate in your family structure, how you operate in your relationships, how you operate with every single thing around you. Everything is giving on to another or, or and moving something or connecting to something in order for it to, to have purpose or movement and so forth. And that's because we are on a linear field that we've accepted. So because we've accepted that linear field, we've also accepted that there must be a future, there must be a past. So when you, when you go into that linear idea, you, you get so focused on it, you become narrow-minded because the linear projection is a narrow road. It doesn't show the quantum and the sub-quantum aspects of what is possible both interdimensionally, outer-dimensionally, and then also in parallel and horizontal and all of the different um, ways in which the universe is actually moving and connecting when you're open to that awareness of that happening. So, again, the idea of linear makes you believe that there's a past and there's a future and you're somewhere in that motion of heading towards your future, right? And we'll say it a lot, like in the future or I'm going here and I'm going to do this and I'm going, I'm going, I'm, you know, it's the idea I'm going somewhere. Where are you going? Okay, well, you're going down that linear path. And the idea of the past makes you believe like, okay, I had a past life. And that's why people will refer to, I had a past life. But in the spirit world, that doesn't exist because the linear was created by a system of control to keep you in what we call a momentous gate. It's a kind of like um, the hamster wheel, but you can't see it. 
And it's the idea that you're chasing after something or going for something. And instead of realizing that everything is actually moving around you and you're actually not going anywhere other than just being where you are. So if you kind of, the, the best way to, to understand that and the way I explain that to a lot of my RSs who are young kids, uh, which is remembrance students, is imagine you're sitting in a center of a center of a, a tornado. And the tornado is going around you, right? In this centrifugal force, okay? And the other side of the tornado is going the other way, okay? So there's one going uh, counterclockwise and another one is going clockwise. And that energy that is going clockwise and counterclockwise is expanding and then roping back into each other and creating another spiral and then another spiral and 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 another spiral. And all of these energies are happening simultaneously and are beautifully constructed and, and beautifully designed to create new energy. So it literally becomes this, how you would say, this, this spiral of, of movement. Now, if you ever look at some of the old art, the old um, pictures, you would see like spiral circles, uh, you would see like Celtic knots, you would see all of these different things. And these are indications of that spiral. Now you're in the center of it, but what, the, what this planet wants you to believe is that that doesn't exist and that you are actually on a linear projection. And so all of your choices and all your motivations are always based on something of the future. And all of your hurts and your pains and your uncomfortable discomforts or traumas or your disappointments or whatever it may be, memories, you will say, come from the past. So you're I, in the past, this thing or that thing. Okay. And so we use those words and it's, it's fine. It's fine to use those words to describe it within this construct what it is. However, it's one thing to describe and utilize that information within this construct. It's another thing to believe in the construct at all. So that way you're kind of in the matrix and out of the matrix at the same time. So you're you're in the matrix, but your spirit is existing outside of the matrix while also being in the matrix. So therefore you're able to see both sides from the outside of the construct and from the inside of the construct. And that gives you a, 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 a greater point of reference when it comes to your life, because then you go, wait a second, I'm planning for these energies um, by doing A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and all that, right? So you follow this, this, this pattern of, I have to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and then this thing is going to happen because you're operating on this linear field, which is moving you in that direction. But again, if I take you back to the tornado where I'm telling you there's all these different rings roping into each other to create that tornado around you, you realize that all you have to do is sit in the center and be very clear about what it is that you choose to create. And in that moment, the energy that ropes into those circles that comes back towards you is coming to you and going out and creating the very thing that you in the center are, are orchestrating. So think of it as 
the the micro um, affects the macro and the macro affects the micro and then and so on right so the inner and the outer the above and below right all of it is is coinciding with one another to create that which you in the center are dreaming or speaking or sharing about but when you go into an idea of i'm going and i'm this you are missing out on the multidimensional energies that are affecting your ability to manifest and 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 perceive and observe consciousness within consciousness within consciousness within consciousness and so then what happens is you get stuck on being right about this one idea of consciousness instead of understanding that there are multidimensional levels of consciousness so that being said now we go back into the center of ourselves and we say okay so if there's no past lives and if the idea of lives are that all these different spirits have shared their frequency together creating what we call a spiraled integrated energy source which then created my being so I am a multidimensional being of many beings that live throughout space, throughout time, all over the galaxies and universes and other black holes and you name it, that have chosen to design me through the sharing of their collective essence, not as an individual in one vessel, but as a multidimensional frequency of many individuals into one vessel and the best way i can explain that is if you ever seen the movie being john malkovich it's a really good representation of that of all the different aspects of him that are inside of him are different beings right operating their essence and informational intelligence kind of like what we would say like each being represents a different aspect of that dna and each of them is contributing to the full completion of that dna and that dna is the blueprint then that that basically governs your behaviors your reactions the way you choose information the way you set up everything all of it is set up and there are beings within that that cluster of dna that are so advanced that they are able to even help the other beings that have dna that come from other dimensions and galaxies that have not evolved to a certain level of information and intelligence to raise their intelligence just by being a part of their soul cluster which is what your soul is it's a cluster of many spirits into one in into one energy source and then we each an individual as within those clusters are clusters within clusters of that dna so i am a cluster of many dnas of many spirits and then there's me as that individual being that is the cluster of that individual source and therefore you are as well and then when we all stand together as like let's say 100 people we are a multidimensional of multidimensional of multidimensional frequencies clusters and energies that are literally allowing the source of creation to move through all of it and increase its intelligence by learning of itself and learning of itself and learning of itself learning of itself and learning of itself and this creates the understanding of the micro to the macro to understanding 
how the consciousness is within consciousness within consciousness. So we are not, there can't be just this one idea of God because God can't be held in one singular form. And that's why I find it funny when people are like, this is what God is and this is how God acts and God gets angry and God this and God this and God, 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 God. And they're putting all of these um, very limited way of communicating intelligence of God into forms of, of, of compression, of resistance and uh, fear and jealousy and anger. And, you know, if you do this, God will get upset with you. God won't let you in the kingdom of heaven and all this stuff. As if God is appointedly operating as a single cell being running the macro of the multidimensional macros of the micros and the macros of the whole entire universe, which is bigger than anything we could ever imagine because the universe you see out in space outside this planet, there are universes within those universes. So that means that what you see and what scientists see or what astron astronauts see when they go into outer space and they see this empty space with, you know, and, and planets, our stars and, and so forth, there's dimensions within each of those energies that exist that they can't see because they're not available to see it because they're looking to see something that they can relate to that relates back to them. So you can't see things unless you are open to the unknown. The reason why we say in shamanism, be open to the unknown is because the unknown gives you ability to see beyond that which you understand. That's why you shouldn't be afraid of the unknown. You should be welcoming of the unknown because there are things that are here on this planet that some people can't see because they're looking to reference it as they see themselves. So they're not gonna wanna see another being unless it, see it, unless it has two eyes and two ears, a mouth and two arms and two legs. So they won't allow themselves to see other beings. They won't allow themselves to see other spirits because they expect those things to look just like them. I mean, if you look at images, how people paint angels, they paint them to look like human beings with wings, which is so far off from how they look. However, that's what makes them comfortable. So those beings will take on this holographic form for them so that they can feel comfortable to start building a relationship. The thing is, the more we begin to move ourselves out of these, what I called trapped conscious constructs that limit you from seeing the total expansion of possibility, we then get stuck in these notches, these grooves, right? And a lot of our suffering and a lot of our pain comes from our need to hold these structures together that are actually being ripped apart from that tornado because you're wanting to move into that tornado instead of stay in the center, which is meaning in you, right? Within your consciousness, staying in the center of you. Every time you go to venture from that center, you get ripped apart. And of course you do, because the energy and the G-force of that energy that you don't even realize has a G-force, because you think only a G-force exists within your dimensional space, of when you see a rocket or you see, you know, a, a, a fast flying jet or a roller coaster that moves very fast, you actually are in your body experiencing that G-force, but you don't realize that there's a spiritual G-force that is taking place beyond your senses that are literally ripping apart the fabrics and the construction of things that you've built that are not 
supporting you being in the center to really create an absolute awareness through the collective consciousness of the spirits that became you and then sharing that with your collective consciousness of your brothers and sisters of the many spirits that became them and then transmitting that and creating God or creating source how we see necessary in order to move whatever it is we want to move. So I'm going to leave it with you here and I'm going to just let that sink in before and then there will be other shares where I will continue from that point to give you more information on that. So what, so what I would like you to do is from this point, I want you to just learn how do I stay in the center of that place without the idea that I have to be moved or I have to go and do something versus allow spirit to do it for me. And you just dream. Love you. Hey tribe, so the tribe wants to hear from you. And I know a lot of you are talented out there in music and poetry and recipes and ideas and just, you know, things that you want to share with the tribe. You can send that information to info at shamandurek.com and share your gifts with the tribe. Love you all and stay lit. Hey tribe, we have another tribe share from a tribal member by the name of Hannah Olivia. You can find her on Instagram at the girl healer and that's T H E G I R L H E A L E R and the song is called Bucketless. Enjoy.
Bay Tribe, we're going to take a short break to hear from one of our amazing sponsors, who is Lit Verified. The Lit Verified store is open. But what does Lit Verified mean? Lit Verified is an acknowledgement and stamp of approval by the tribe. I have tried each of these products and they are the best. Lit Verified products vary from beauty, technology, clothing, food, health, and wellness, and anything that is ethically sourced, organic, maintained, and sustainable. Not every product offered to the team passes the Lit Verified test. No, not at all. Every Lit Verified product is carefully researched. Every CEO has been met with. Every ingredient carefully looked into the process production of all of it. I have seen the impact these vendors are making. Their vision and ethics are aligned with our tribe, with people who are consciously supporting community and want to make a difference in our world and make it a better place for us. Lit Verified products are ethically sourced and meet the highest industry standards. When purchasing Lit Verified products, we give back by creating sustainability and by leading the world to make better choices. You can be confident that you're buying into a company that supports a vision for change, not just a company that wants to line their pockets with money. We live in a time where we are oversaturated by commercials, TV, and social media, where far too many celebrities and influencers are endorsing things they know nothing about and things they might be doing damage to people, to the earth, and to animals. With Lit Verified, we've taken that doubt out of the equation. You're not only getting the best, but you're also doing the best. Pick up your awesome Lit Verified items at shamanduric.com and click on the link that takes you to Lit Verified. Love well, tribe. All right, tribe. Time to hear from our special guest. Hello, Tribe, and welcome to Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. And if anyone hasn't told you that you are super spectacular, well, let me be the first because I think you are amazing. The fact that you're even on this planet at this time in this great transition where we're here to really shift things and lift things and really make a change on the planet, not as just one person going in front of a bunch of people and being a talking head. I'm talking about each and every one of us being lit leaders of legacy, walking in the prime of who we are in our autonomy, holding hands as brothers and sisters and walking through all of the chaos and all the things that are happening with pure love in our hearts. And that's what it's about. It's about lifting and shifting and changing the narrative so that we can live a better life and life on earth can thrive. Now, that is something to be excited about. And what's even more exciting is that we get to speak to all types of people from all over the world who are being a part of this amazing movement and doing everything they can from where they are in their position as a leader to bring change and to bring a conversation that enlightens us to know that they exist and what's going on. And today I have an amazing, powerful, amazing woman in studio today. Her name is Nikki Moore. Now, Nikki Moore grew up in Arkansas and has always longed to move to California. She attended UC Santa Barbara and studied classical civilization, ancient history, and religion have been a calling to her. 
And so not only that, but she decided to pursue law at UC Davis and was so intent on being the First Amendment lawyer, a former college journalist. She wanted to protect the rights of people. Now, how amazing is that? And a journalist on top of that to speak and write critically and take on power structures. That's the type of lit leader that we need in the world. And during her final years of law school, she was connected with the legislator in Sacramento. She began working to lobby the First Amendment issue as well as access public records, particularly records of police officers' misconduct. Now she works as a committee counsel helping craft public safety laws to improve people's lives. So if this isn't a lit leader, then what is? You see, because tribe, here's the thing, right? Spirit puts us where we need to be to be able to create change where we can create change based on our vessel, based on what we're able to bring forth. Every single person is valuable on the planet. And I am so happy that you get to hear and learn from Nikki Moore today on Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. Nikki, welcome to the share. Oh, it's so wonderful to be here. So, okay. So I just want to ask you, let's go into like, how did your spiritual and circumstances guide you to become a First Amendment lawyer? Well, as you said, I grew up in Arkansas, which was a very um, outwardly religious place. Religion is very steeped in the culture, but I didn't ever really connect with going to church. And I really connected with my spirituality through the ability to be autonomous and to be able to speak truth. And, um, and, and that's what journalism did for me. And that's ultimately what being a First Amendment lawyer for me was about is protecting the right to speak, the right to practice religion, the right to assemble with people and the right to take on power because those are the people who are being, uh, government is what tries to squelch that, that power. To, to keep the system and to keep the matrix doing what it's doing. Did you feel it was difficult for you internally and mentally for you to be able to step up, even though everything around you was pressuring you to be a certain way, especially within religion and within your society, for you to be able to step up and be who you are? I absolutely felt growing up that that I was stifled that that I my truth wasn't necessarily comfortable to people and that was what coming to California was really about for me because it always was this beacon of progressiveness and light and that's why I, I ended up here and I feel so at home in California not to say that you can't feel at home in Arkansas you can feel at home anywhere but in my situation I was really, I was really called to come out here and to do this work because it didn't feel like I fit in when I grew up. So when you, when you didn't feel that you fit in when you grew up, did you feel like there, when you were a child, like there, that you saw something wrong with the world that made you go into accepting this, this path and this career? Well, right. Because just because somebody tells you this is the way things are, I'm always, why? Why is that the way things are? <laughs> and, you know, so that, so that's a, that was the real driver, questions and, and inquiry. And that's what journalists do. And, and that's what lawyers do, challenge the systems, challenge the way things are. 
Do you feel that um, as people, especially in the world, that we should ask more questions instead of just accept what's being given to us? Absolutely. And even something I believed yesterday, I might not believe tomorrow. So we have to be not just asking the questions, but open to hearing the answers and to hearing the answers evolve. That's a really beautiful thing that you just said, actually. And I want to kind of expound on that a little bit because I feel like in the world, people want to define their reality so much to being right about what they heard or what they were told, but they don't really go through and say, you know what, I'm going to stay fluid. I'm going to stay flexible. I'm going to stay in this movable position that, you know, because I always say every, to everyone, you know, spirituality is is really contradiction, right? It's it's the, an understanding that the more we grow, the more we evolve, the more we are open to a different spectrum, and we're open to many spectrums, or even quantum spectrums. And those spectrums in themselves have new information and new ways of doing things. And I think that when we get too beholden upon one idea or one or uh, one way of doing something, we limit ourselves as a species. Not only limiting our species, we limit our own planet from being able to evolve. And that includes nature and the animal um, kingdom because we're not able to move beyond the technology and the way that we're building um, information into the things we're creating. Do you feel that that's true? And what's your thoughts on it? Absolutely. And if you just look at politics, you have a politician who changes his mind on something. He evolves and then he's a flip-flopper. So the system doesn't want people to change their mind. It wants people to go into one camp or the other camp and to sit there forever. And uh, and that's just antithetical to evolution and to accepting all those newer levels of, of vibration and, and understandings that we need everyone in this world to be engaging in. Yeah, I think so too. I think I think it's a little bit a bit dangerous for people to actually go into this kind of very set way of doing things and not being flexible or fluid enough to be open to change, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's causing us to stay in the systems of anger and fear and hate that perpetuate themselves, that perpetuate violence and don't heal trauma. Right. And I, I, I wanted to get, to get a perspective because, you know, you are a female, you're in this world, and this world isn't been so kind to women as far as setting up the place for women to have a foundation to really be able to see, know, and feel their power without there being interruption of any type of energy that would either want to take, oppress, or limit their power. And the idea of being able to be a woman and to speak up and to be true and authentic to who you are, how was that for you growing up and then stepping into your path? I think growing up in a very sort of Christian religion that was men are to be served by the women. And that really didn't strike in my heart. And um, and so that I think is one of those reasons that I I felt like I was always banging against a door that was closed. And I, even today, even in my work as an attorney in politics, the power structures are largely masculine and they are the descendants of masculine thoughts. I mean, the systems that we live in, the government that we live in, we have the founding fathers. We don't have the founding people. And that masculine energy hasn't been 
balanced with femininity. And so many women who are in my generation and older have been working to chip away at that. And we have definitely made progress. But if you look at the spectrum of people who are still in power and in the workplace, the lots of them came from this still quite masculine place. And so women's intuition and and passions are scary to a lot of men, it seems like. And so you get resistance and it's not pleasant. And you just have to keep marching and know that it's coming from a good place inside of you and a place of not trying to take something down, but to make something better. Right. And, you know, because it's interesting because you, you know, in law and also even in the college uh, world, you know, the masculine um, energy as far as words, structures, the way things are built, the way, the way, the, the way that people operate in a college setting, also in law as well, is very seen as this very one, um, one way of doing things. You know, it's, it's not really supportive of, you know, really creating uh, a wellspring of growth and humanity within the people. I think it's unfortunate because a woman's perspective of consciousness is important when it comes through the understanding that we have to rehabilitate. We actually have to stop destroying or cutting off or, you know, because it's, it's that whole idea of like, you know, the, the strongest will survive instead of realizing why can't everyone survive? Uh, do you feel that a lot of that in your schooling and also in becoming a lawyer has played a lot of roles, um, you know, in how you were learning and that you noticed that? Certainly that system is the context that we, we go into. And most professors are men and most attorneys that are going to consider hiring you are men. That's still true. Um, there are, most law firms are founded by men from decades ago. So that system really still is set up and structured by men. And women have gotten into the system more. And that feminine energy tries to break through. But when it comes down to board meetings and business decisions, that masculine energy of profit over what is our conscious capitalism doing here versus what is our capitalism doing here? That's still a really big tension that the femininity in me struggles with and, and butts up against. And, and even, um, you know, just my thoughts are, I've heard you say quantum, and, and it does feel like the workplace can be very linear. And it's also in politics you know, you want to make incremental change as opposed to revamping the entire system. But sometimes that's what's called for. You need to take an entirely different view of how you're doing something and say, this is not working and I can't fix this broken system. We need to go build a new system. And that's scary to people. Right. And I believe that 100%. I think <laughs> the way that we have like this kind of very left, right, blue, red make your decision on those two ideas. And really those two ideas 
to me, aren't really supporting longevity on the planet. Uh, I think that there is a, the system that the way it was built was built incorrectly. I, I believe that the narrative of the system isn't for the people, it's for the system. And um, I like to hear more people saying that they're for people that are in the system because they're operatives to create change, such as yourself. I do believe that we are at a at a, a time right now where, you know, people have to understand that as long as we choose to hold on to reality and want to feel safe and comfortable in that reality, we're limiting ourselves from seeing the idea or the possibility of other viewpoints of that could support us even greater than what we're holding on to. So I think it's the pride that I see, you know, that people hold on to. What is your feelings on that? You know, there's this really famous quote by Winston Churchill that says that democracy is the worst form of government, except for all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. And I look at that and I say, what about a form of government where women had a part in in making that form of government, where people who were marginalized, people of all races had a part in making that government. And we don't have that. And that's what I think evolution is in government and in politics, is recognizing that we are coming from a flawed place and trying to transform that into something that's more inclusive and more evolved that maybe we haven't seen before, but we have to be inventive and we have to believe in the possibility that we can do that. And we have to engage as in, on the individual level to, to create the we, the people that we want to be. Mm, that's so beautifully said because I love the we, the people. You know, I was obsessed as a kid going to Washington, D.C. and going to all of the the whole entire, you know, like Abraham Lincoln and George Washington and going to, and also going to Philadelphia and going to the, you know, where they had the, the Battle of Gettysburg. And like, I was very consumed in the, the idea of government and the idea of how it was built and why it was built and who built it. Like who, who, were, the, who were the founders of this, of this you know, monument um, that we all have to be, um, you know, associated to on some level and being um, on earth, but not just even in our country, but in other countries as well. When I travel, I like to always, you know, I was in Iceland, I got to sit down with the House of Parliament and it was great because it was these guys who just had beer and like big, you know, mugs of beer. And I came in and they were wearing like boots, jeans, and sweaters and like, shaman, come join, sit down, let's talk, let's share, let's, you know, get into a conversation. And I started to talk a lot about, you know, how difficult it is in Iceland for youth to be able to get on their feet because the rents are so high and things are so high. So they, how, did, how did they get, how do they launch themselves out of their home to create their own lives when the system isn't supposed supporting them, launching themselves. And we had great conversations about that. But you know, what I found very fascinating is that every place I've been in the world, if I'm sitting down with an official in government or so forth, it's, it's really about, I'm always sitting down with men. 
And the only time when I was in Iceland that I meet the first lady president, uh, Vikness, and we had such a lovely conversation. And she even said to me, where were you when I was in office as the president? I could have really used you on, on council because my viewpoint is always about how do we create an association of collective of awareness of not just being us, but also how are we affecting the rest of the world and our choices? And how is that impacting the people in our, in our communities and society? And, and, you know, and how is it helping women to be able to have a voice? Because I feel like a lot of times what I see even in America is that there's this deficit of women who are really holding into their activated self as a woman, they start feeling like they have to manipulate themselves to become more ma- more masculine so that they can handle going into that world. Have you felt any part of yourself having to disassociate yourself from your true feminine nature, which is the ability to truly be in that motherly, that powerful um, energy of the woman, which is able to see both inner and outer perspectives, see what's missing from people because they have empathic abilities to feel what's, what's lacking? Or have you felt like you had to shift more masculine energy in order to maintain yourself in the system that you're in? So there are times when I embody the masculine energy in a way that I think is really productive. When I'm, when I'm in, a, in, a, in a dispute and you're, you're trying to make the argument, you sometimes need to embody the masculine energy to bring, uh, to bring the other person to your side. But at the same time, I think there's a feminine consciousness that stays behind that. Even if I'm in the masculine of um, debating or making an argument, it's informed by a more quantum consciousness. And my intention and my goals are usually coming from that place, uh, even if it's coming out masculine. And it's one reason why it's very difficult for me as a, an advocate or as a, an attorney to advocate and speak publicly about something that I don't agree with. And I have taken jobs and left jobs because I know that my energy is being used for a certain purpose. And I can do the job as long as I believe in that purpose. But sometimes that purpose evolves into something that I don't agree with. And I have had to leave jobs in order to to protect myself and to prevent myself from going down a path that you don't, it's kind of like being a, a frog in a pot of water and you don't realize until you're boiling um, that you're in trouble. And I've, I've had to cultivate and curate my career in order to protect that. Mm-hmm. Beautifully said. I do enjoy what you said about you take on the mask because we all have masculine and feminine inside of us, you know, but sometimes I see women completely give up their feminine and just operate in that masculine and then lose that touch of that intuition and that connectedness of knowing how to guide that masculine energy. Because it really is the masculine energy does need more, more maturing in our world. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yes, definitely. 
You know, like I find some of my deepest conversations with women because women, I can speak to them in a language beyond just the the intellect. I can speak to them into an emotional language where the emotions has deeper uh, gateways of information available to be able to kind of, you know, see the bigger picture versus the whole versus just the linear. And so I find it very fascinating because I think that what happens is that we get so caught up in the idea that you know we have to keep operating on that masculine trajectory and i think it's limiting our range of scope if we're not allowing more women to be in these positions such as yourself to be able to have the conversation you know that's brought forth where you can activate the masculine but the feminine is still the energy that is actually driving that masculine energy with the knowledge of those deeper layers of information that most people don't access because they're operating in linear to those quantum um, aspects being brought forth in the conversation of why you're making the choices the decisions the, the lexicon and the way in which you're presenting things, um, you know, forth. Because the way men in our society were raised is not to be cognizant of the feminine. They're not, um, they're not shape-shifting sort of into that feminine when it is the appropriate place to be. And yet women are overdoing that and going too far sometimes. And that's why we need a balance and we need the ability for masculine men to be feminine and for feminine women to be masculine when it's appropriate. Absolutely. I agree with you. Like beyond, 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 beyond. Um, so I wanted to know how has your spiritual practice helped you to better fulfill this role um, in being who you are? It, it has broadened the issues that I think are important you know, I, I was a lobbyist for the newspaper industry and I worked on First Amendment and challenging power. We we had we had some really great accomplishments in my in my work at um, in making police records disclosable that hadn't been disclosed for 40 years in California. But at the same time, I've had to allow myself to evolve and allow myself to see where I want to serve and put my my energies. And that's one of the reasons that I took a job in the legislature, in the public safety committee, where we focus on a much broader range of issues. Yes, we look at First Amendment because there's always people who are trying to create laws that would criminalize speech um, or, or, uh, or make records secret. Um, those are some of the things that we deal with, but we also deal with policies regarding prison and punishment and how do we address when someone is having a mental health breakdown? Do we send the police or do we send social workers? And that that's a much broader and ultimately more human-centered issue, issue area than just working for corporate newspapers, which um, sadly is the state of newspapers today, owned not by individuals, across the state, but corporations that are cutting costs and cutting journalists. And so, yeah, it has my, my urge to serve and my knowledge that that has to come through the professional work that I do um, has increased over time. And especially when you sit in 
public safety committee hearings and people who have been incarcerated for 20 or 30 years who didn't think they were ever going to get a second chance at life are sitting there being active participants in government. You see how important that is and it's inspiring and and they're doing their spiritual work too. Yeah, there's something I do very much uh, want to talk to you about. I think we talked about it earlier, um, months and months ago, I think it was, because it's a, a very strong feeling for me right now, um, where there's a lot of people sitting in prison right now who were arrested, who have um, you know very long terms in prison, uh, who were arrested on you know marijuana charges, either concealing or um, you know dealing marijuana. And then you look around California and everyone's toking and baking and these people are sitting in prison. I mean, where's the unfairness in that? Absolutely. You know, it's such a deep issue because we've been on an incarceration binge in, in this country and in this state. And if you look at the numbers from the 80s to what we have today, quadrupled the prison population and things like taking drug crimes out of the system are imperative in reversing course on that. And it's things that people who are privileged and who have money and power are not getting in trouble for. And that inequity is one of the reasons why when we legalize marijuana, we also took steps, and this is about initiative that the people of California voted on, to get people out of incarceration because we recognize as a society that this isn't something that we should be putting people behind bars for. And there's there's a lot of other things that we've had to, to look at. Like when we sentence people who are 17 years old to life without parole or give them 30 years in prison. And we know now that the brain science behind um, the the brain is still developing uh, until someone is 25 years old. And to hold a person in prison forever when they weren't even fully developed humans uh, is being being questioned and being seen as, as inhumane. And so we've taken steps to allow that redemption of, of the soul or that evolution of the soul to be recognized in places like prison. Yeah, because you know, I feel like I mean, one of the projects that I want to uh, you know forward on uh, when this whole Corona thing is over at the end of I think July of next year, when it starts dying down a little bit, is I do want to get there's a, a correctional facility in Oregon, and I want to bring my friend Dr. Jaffe, who's an amazing um, doctor, and him and I go and I've already uh, approached the prison and asked them. And sent them the paperwork and all that stuff, you know, because I really want to go in there and really start sharing with some of the inmates in ways that we can begin to start looking at um, mental and emotional rehabilitation. I think, because, you know, the thing is, what I find very fascinating on our planet, and one thing that I really enjoyed about some of the prisons in Norway that my girlfriend has got me into um, learning about is how they have, they're not 
put in such a heavy incarceration. They're given more ability to be more human and learn about themselves so that they can be able. They're like, there's one prison where they live in a house together with knives and, and all types of appliances and everything. And they make food together, they cook together, they're, no one's shanking anyone, no one's doing anything. And these people, some of these people have had really heavy crimes. And yet they're on the farm taking care of the horses and you know, intending to the cows and the animals and you know the livestock and really you know farming the land and doing all these things and i feel like you know i feel like our system uses the prison facility as um as a cash cow to to find ways to just keep putting people behind bars we're not looking at that these are people these are individual souls that have an opportunity to come out of their situation from the choices they made mentally and emotionally and physically and i don't really see so much of that rehabilitation or the like the efforts of rehabilitation from not just from a psychological or religious point of view but someone coming in like a shaman or someone who's coming in more with different modalities to really look at the human psyche and really define some of the reasons why they made those choices and those actions and be able to to you know to to share that and then to help them to create a program that actually supports them in coming out of that what what are your thoughts on that yeah, the the systems that we have, the prisons that we have in California, there are 33. And almost all of them are inaccessible from, unless you're driving hours and hours to get there. One of the notable examples is San Quentin. And it's in the middle of the San Francisco Bay Area where you have college students and retired people who do get to go and provide programming and Shakespeare and meditation. And what you see at San Quentin is a totally different atmosphere than the prisons that are in the middle of the desert. And it's hot and nobody's visiting and nobody gets to see their family members because it's very difficult to get there. So there's, there's the institutional problems of that, the structural problems, and the idea that we're not treating people as human beings. In 2006, I think, the, or, or nine, the Supreme Court of the United States said that California's prison population overpopulation was a constitutional violation. So we have been under a federal receivership since then and under scrutiny for having overcrowded prisons, two or three people in a space that was built for one. And that just demeans the dignity of each of those people. You don't, you don't feel like a human being. And then the system uh, is, if you're working in the system, you are encouraged not to treat people like human beings on some level. And um, like in Germany, they don't have people wear the same kind of prison garb like we do because it makes people and allows people to feel like more than just a prisoner. And so much of how we need to be treating individuals who are incarcerated is with the dignity of their divinity. And that's, that's been lacking. And uh, met things like providing spiritual and mental services are a way for not just the people who are incarcerated to feel like humans, but for everyone who's involved in this system because there are 
guards and custodians who work in the prisons, and also family members who visit the prisons and see their, their loved ones and the ones that their loved ones are surrounded by. There's millions and millions of people who are affected by that. And um, it's, it's really when you oppress, you diminish yourself. And that seems to be what's happened in our prison system on the whole. Yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate. I don't know if um, I ever shared with you a story. When I was a teenager, I wanted to throw a party at my dad's house. And uh, he, you know, was, I knew he was going to London for Wimbledon. So I thought, oh, this is a perfect time. He's going to go away. He's going to leave. Because I knew he was going on a trip first and then he was going to fly from there to London. And so I had told all these friends, we're going to have a party. I'm going to bring a DJ. We're going to have so much fun. And then my stepmom figured it out, my mom, and um, and she basically made it where they didn't go on their trip because they wanted to see like if I was really going to have a party. And so they did it at such a last minute that I didn't have a time to really tell everyone about it. And I found out. And that day I was skateboarding around the neighborhood and uh, there was this house and there were these kids skating in front of the house. And I was like, oh, what, what's going on? What are you guys learning and stuff? And we're talking about you know skating and stuff. And then one of the kids was like, oh yeah, this house was abandoned. It was left and like no one lives here anymore. And so we come here and hang out and, you know, do all this stuff. And I was like, oh, this house is abandoned. And they're like, yeah. So, you know, and me, cause I'm such a, you know, I was such a naive kid who, you know, believed whatever anyone said. And I never even like knew that there was houses that people could move out of and they still own, but they're, they moved out and they're, you know, putting the house up for sale. So I didn't really know all of that. I was really young. And um, so I was just like, oh, that's so cool. And then I was like, oh my God, I found the perfect party house. you know. <laughs> and then I like went back and told all my friends. And then we all went to the house and the front door wasn't open. But the kids told me that in the back door is always left open if you just go through the gate because they always go back there and play in the backyard and stuff. And so I was like, great. So I like one in the backyard, went up to open the door, opened up the front door, invited everyone in, had this amazing party. And then these older kids came and they started like bringing tons of like over a hundred proof alcohol. And they started to take their, their alcohol and write their names on the carpet and on the curtains and set it on fire so they can see it go up in flames and then it would go out. And then the next one would do it and they did it and did it. And finally, it got to a point where the fire didn't go out. And they, every time they put water on it, it just got worse. And the fire started catching onto everything. And we were coughing up smoke and it was crazy. And then what basically happened was uh, we ended up running away from the house and watched the house burn down and the fire engines came and everything. And we made a pact that we weren't going to you know, talk about this or share about it. And then the FBI came and the police and stuff started knocking on my door and, you know, asking questions and so forth. But, you know, long story short, I ended up going to court uh, along with all these other kids. And some of the older kids who were there, they found cigarette buds with their um, fingerprints on it and they already had a record. And so they ended up like ratting everyone else out. So when we went to court, the family showed up and they said, like, did you give permission for Mr. Verrett to be to let people into your house to throw a party? And the guy was like, that was my family home. And he started crying. And I was just like, I'm guilty. I take full responsibility for everything that happened to your house. I am so sorry. And, um, and then so they basically were like, okay, you're going to be 
taken into custody to a juvenile type adult, a juvenile facility where some of the people who are juvenile there get transferred to San Quentin. And so anyway, I got taken in. First day in, I have this guy and he's like in the room with me and he's just like spitting on my face the whole entire time. And I was like covered in spit and I wanted, I was so angry. I wanted to like beat him up, but the, they had like these guys pull out these mirrors, you know, outside of their cells and was like, Hey, new kid who newbie, this guy's brother killed his like, you know, family member and they're all going to go to prison. And you know, they're, you don't want to do that because he'll, they'll, they can hurt you in here because they don't care because they already have life sentences and all this kind of stuff. And so I didn't do anything and I asked to be moved to another cell. But being in that environment was really difficult because one, I felt a lot of the racism that um, from the different people who worked in the prison or worked in that facility. And then one of them, I was having uh, questions about my own sexuality at that time. And I was sharing it with my probation officer and he went and told everyone, all the guards and all the people in the facility and so they were talking to some of the people who were uh, staying in the facility who were, you know, uh, being incarcerated. And then I started getting into fights where people kept trying to like, you know, sexually do things to me or other guys that were in there. And I had to fight and fight and I always ended up in the hole. And the hole was the worst place. And when I, it's interesting because there's this movie I saw recently um, where these kids get um, arrested in New York City for being in the park um, for crimes that they didn't commit. And I remember being in the hole and I remember there's times where I was there for like a month, two months, three months. And I tried killing myself a couple of times uh, because they were treating me so bad. They would, they would bring my food in and take my food away and I'd starve. And then they left me on a mattress. Then I tried to kill myself and they took all my clothes and put me in a plastic bag with a plastic string. And I was in there for long periods of time. And, uh, it was it seemed like i was being bullied more by the people who were there you know because they just saw me as bad and even if i would tell them that i'm really a beautiful person and i'm a good soul and i just made mistakes they always saw me as bad and treated me with like the lowest respect and it was really hard to make it through that system and i ended up getting out and finally my probation officer um, Herb Schilling, uh, you know, great guy. Uh, at, the, at the point, he wasn't a great guy. He was very mean in the beginning. But then one day he came to my house and he heard me getting beat and he was by the window and he heard everything. And, um, and then when I went outside, because he knocked on the door, I went to talk to him and he just started crying. And he was like, I am so sorry for the way I've treated you. I am so sorry for everything that I've done. And I I'm so sorry. And I'm going to let the, I'm going to talk to the judge and get you off of this thing. And like, you're a really good person. And I just couldn't see it because that's my role. My role is to be mean and, and, and to make sure that you don't break the rules or send you back to jail. And it was very, it was very tough for me. And I it really, I think being in that small, tiny cell and being in the hole in the pitch black with a tiny little window with just the San Francisco air coming in and with no blanket, no pillow, and just a dirty little mattress with a black bag around me that grips instantly if you touch it. And the way that they would talk to me and the way that everyone was doing things, it was challenging. And it always made me care about people who are being incarcerated. And um, do you feel like, you know, that there's, 
going to be a sh- I mean, because really there needs to be a shift in how the people who are working in these prisons, because I know they have to be protected. I get that because I have seen some of the people that I was incarcerated with, but there has to be people that are also helping them because they're also in that environment so long. They eventually start to take on these very, almost, it was very crazy some of the roles that I experienced. So many people who are incarcerated have childhood trauma. And that's ultimately one of the reasons why they they do things that get them in, in prison. And at the same time, so many people who work in prisons also have childhood trauma. And as a society, generally, we don't provide tools of mental health for any of these people. And it's and then you put people in a situation that's concrete and um, it's not humane. And that that's the energy there. And so I think one of the things that I think would be really transformative is if everyone in those systems, both the people who are incarcerated and the people who work in those facilities could cultivate more mindfulness and have meditation. What if there was an every morning at 9 a.m. a bell that rang and everyone was able to take a pause and check in with themselves and with their bodies and detach from the traumas of the day or the day before um, or the deeper traumas and, and just connect with their own humanity? And how could that transform how everyone interacts with each other from the guards to the the people who are behind bars. And we don't provide that space. Um, There have been some efforts in in the legislature to create what they call peer support groups for correctional officers because they need Um, mental health care, and they need to be able to talk to somebody about the things that they see and the things that they deal with, because there's a lot of scary, dark things that do happen in prisons. Uh, Similarly, the prisoners need to be able to process not, not just the place that they are, which is traumatic, but everything that got them there. And so few, so few structural, um, mental health programs exist to do that. And so it's just like, what else, what do you expect the result to be? And further, you want people in the public to trust that when people do come out of prison, that they are safe. And the public doesn't believe that. There's a stigma. And so, you know, it's an even broader issue of what, what are we the people doing to other people because of one or two things that they did in their life, which were a product of trauma? And how do we, how do we treat that? How do we rehabilitate that? How do we believe that people deserve redemption and atonement? And um, those, are all, those are all really important and spiritual issues in a comp- place completely devoid of structures to support spiritual healing. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I know it took me some while when I came out of that facility and, 
really helped a lot of my other friends who were in that, that I made friends with in that facility. And when they got out, I moved them into my home and like, you know, did everything I could to support them. And really looking at like, you know, my dad ended up, you know, paying all this money for the, to the family so they can have a new house. And, you know, it was a lot of stuff that happened, you know, and, and even also the fact that my dad never only came one time to, I wouldn't say never, I'd say one time he came for a very short time during visiting to visit me. But it was very in, in informational for me to go through uh, being who I am. And I always look back at it sometimes. And I was talking to my girlfriend about it because I look back at it as a reminder of the journey that I've been on and looking at how I've lived in all these different experiences so that I can be able to support and help those experiences change and, and evolve. Because I think... You know, I think you're exactly what you're saying is that, you know, there needs to be some mental health. Like there was no mental health for me. I literally thought I was going crazy. I tried killing myself like every single day when I was in the hole. I used to bang my head on the wall. I tried to strangle myself. I tried everything because I couldn't understand. Like I came out of this very abused home and I just wanted to have a party and this thing happened and it was unfortunate. I didn't realize the circumstances and what really took place. No one really explained it to me or sat down with me to understand what exactly happened and what I did and what was wrong and, and why and how did I get to this place. And so it took me a lot of time while I was there to really think about all these things. And then at the same time, navigate myself through the fighting, through the people there who are being mean to me or limiting me or, you know, and then the long time in that tiny little cell and you only get a little bit of time out and then you're back in that cell for long durations and I would lose track of days and it was intense, you know, and I feel for those people. I have a friend right now who is in Snake River facility in Oregon who I send money to to support so that he can have a more cushier life uh, there. And he, you know, he witnessed a friend of ours dying from, from eating water hemlock and went crazy and just got in himself into, you know, robbing banks and thinking that he, you know, just became completely, you know, uh, deranged in his thinking process. And even now to this day, he's creating, um, he brought, you know, I, uh, I, he got the book Spirit Hacking, the book that I wrote, and he's been sharing it with a lot of the inmates. And they've been like writing me and calling me and saying how much it's helped them to do the exercises and to do those things, you know, but it's like, it, it, it's, one, it's one area which is beautiful that it's shifting and changing and he's making, and now he's talking to people to create like groups for meditation and I'm giving him tips and tools and how to organize that from within the prison facility. But it's really needs more. We, it needs more. And I think, um, I think with the laws, I, I think the way we set up our laws is really about what it comes down to is how, you know, how are we looking at people who've come from abused homes and come from these types of situations and then end up in the system and then come out of the system and don't have any real life to go back to. And then they go back into the system. And, you know, and California is the home to so many people who are healers and who are spiritually evolving. And I don't see them in the Capitol that often. There's a lot of room for the laws that we create to be spiritually inspired. And there is a lot of, in the last decade especially, of recognition of the inequities of the systems, of the fact that this is the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. And that means that you have to be providing 
rehabilitation to people in order to fulfill the mission of the prisons. And currently putting 100,000 people in prison in California or shifting them to the jails, county jails, which is which are also overcrowded and which also don't have uh, mental health support and may have even less support. You know, those are really important things that we that we need to be doing. And I, I know how difficult it was for me just to be a happy person with all of the privilege that I've had in my life. I haven't been abused. I haven't had. I've never been embroiled in in the criminal justice system. And I still need help getting my mental health together and have, I can only imagine what it is like if you have the trauma of abuse or you come from poverty, which is a huge driver for uh, all of this. Because when you're insecure at home and your family's insecure, your parents are insecure and you're insecure and you go to a school that doesn't honor you in the way that it believes that you really can uh, learn and succeed. All of those things play together to create the adult or the the juvenile that is then before the court system. It's it's cultural and societal failings that drive us into the courts and into the prisons. And um, so, in some ways, addressing it from from that element, there's a lot of damage that's already done, but in order to heal this this country and this world that we live in, you have to do it stitch by stitch. So that means addressing it from every angle and providing that meditation and mental health in places where it's devoid of those things is really important. And also creating policies and laws and addressing it on the front end. How do we create more security for people in their homes and in their families with housing and mental health and education. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. It's like, I really think, I mean, you know, I mean, as people are stepping right now and rising up to this, you know, to create systemic change within our society, how do you see your role shifting during this time of activism and social change? Well, uh, frankly, my my job is not to be an activist right now, and maybe I can just tell you this off the record, but I hopefully won't get fired for having this conversation with you. But we are advising the legislators on what is good policy and what is not, and um, the people who I work with are former public defenders who have represented people in courts, represented people when they're at their worst, and the. Um, so where are people coming from when they, when they're looking at making a difference? And there's, there's a lot of people who are coming from a place of experience and compassion and empathy in trying to forward those ideas. And in politics, you have the counterforce. So you have the system that exists, um, you have the sheriffs and the police chiefs and the prosecutors and the judges who are all in their system and their side with their beliefs about what is justice and how do we make the it is our job to keep the people safe and how do we how do we do that and 
sometimes it's easier for the momentum of the system that they're in and that they've uh, that they believe in, and that is part of their identity to keep that system in place, even though we clearly see things aren't working. We're not rehabilitating. We're not healing. We're not creating healing for the individuals who are victims or for the individuals who are incarcerated. So there's a lot of there's a lot of tensions between the old ways and the new ways in between that sort of masculine energy of law and order and retribution and the feminine understanding of evolution and and restorative justice and compassion um, which which has has not been part of the system for a long time yeah it hasn't and we, we definitely need to to get it to become a part of the system my, my whole thing right now is like everybody's going into this kind of like frequency of chaos and what my what my focus is to make sure that everyone in the tribe stays lit and stays in their pop rocks energy to not get caught up in the chaos and all of that stuff because it really is uh you know taking people's power away from what's really important which is creating conversations and collective gatherings that are about how do we dream change how do we create change how do we begin to uh go into taking action for real change which is much more about an all-inclusive awareness and an understanding of how we make this world a better place from the heart, from the soul, not from this mindset of, you know, looking for the monster and trying to find the monster and and then persecuting the monster and like, you know, and degrading the monster and doing all of these things that I see when I go on Instagram and just people just going to each other's pages, attacking each other over really things that are just set up to make them be angry so that they can do that so that things don't really change. And you, we... I think it's wonderful to be critical of the government. It's something that I have done in my career. At the same time, you don't want to stay in the darkness in doing so. What are we trying to imagine this world to be versus Mm. complaining about what we see? Because certainly (laughs) there's a lot of of things that we can complain about. Where do we want to put our energy? Love it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's, that's exactly what it is. It's that whole complaining. It's the whole, I'm going to complain about what it is that I see and what it is that I don't like and all this kind of stuff instead of really just stepping in and going, you know what, I'm going to educate myself. I'm going to get aware and I'm going to see what, what kind of resource I represent to bring for change on the planet, not as of you're right and you're wrong kind of change, but from a how can we make things better type of change. And as a society, we, I, I look at social media and I, I think we are, we're like maybe toddler level evolution for for conversation. I mean, it is incredible that we can speak with people all over the world in the way that we can, but we all need to understand what we're doing when we're engaging in those conversations or when we're posting things and we're saying things. What is what is the intent behind it? And as an attorney, I've always been very careful about the things that I say. And to, to some degree, I, I probably stifle my own speech because 
it's really important to me to put out things um, that I have thought about and that I, I feel comfortable defending that position. And I think a lot of people post or speak online in a from a very reactive place um, or a place that, oh, I see something and so I should just amplify this without really thinking about the consequences. And so I think we all need to, as a society, get more evolved in that, in the communication that we engage in with each other and, and engaging in corrections of ourself regularly. Like when I'm talking to myself, I need to correct myself if I'm, if I'm thinking negatively. And if we are engaging in an outward conversation uh, and we then recognize that the interaction didn't go poorly, how do we correct ourselves for the next interaction so that we are all getting better at this? Yeah. Absolutely, my love. Absolutely. So amazing. One of my questions um, I wanted to ask you is how does gender inequality affect the energies within the institution? Can you take us deeper into uh, your mission to bring the divine feminine into balance in the power structures of government and control? Well, one one of the ways that this is playing out is looking at the vice president pick that Joe Biden is picking, who's he, who's he going to pick as vice president? And the way that society looks at these women and scrutinizes the women on a totally different set of factors than they're scrutinizing men. And that's a that's a societal issue, right? Like, why are we being triggered about women in such a different way than, than men who are in power? So... It starts by, I think, asserting our presence and ex- expecting that we are honored. And if we if we face resistance, standing in the power and knowing, not discouraging ourselves from embodying that femininity in those moments, because it can be difficult and there is pushback. And like I said earlier, you know, Sometimes you just have to keep marching and and go, oh, wow, that was some sexism there. And that's unfortunate. Um, But you look at at the younger generations that are just coming into the workforce, and it really does seem different that the progress is, is coming. We just haven't gotten to the full fruition of it yet. So that's a big part of it. And if you look at the number of women on in, in state government, in the legislature, there are, I think it's 12 or, or less. There are not very many women senators. There's definitely less than 50% assembly women. Um, structurally, we need to elect women. We need to put women in charge and not just in politics, but in police departments and in schools. How many schools have female teachers and then male administrators? So the systems that exist that honor that masculine energy and power and degrade the feminine energy and power need to be challenged on a regular basis. And that means women going for jobs that they might not think that they tick all the boxes and are are qualified for. But there's like a very common knowledge that men will throw their hat in the ring with way less qualifications than a woman who is going to consider the same thing. So 
I think empowering ourselves, seeing women reflected in the positions of power more generally. I think it is really wonderful if we're going to have a female vice president. Um, that that's one great step. It's I would like to see a female president and a female governor. California has never had a female governor. We, but I think we, also too, I think there has to be a level of the female that's choosing to step into that position has to maintain the awareness of the female. And um, because I've seen females step into politics and they maintain still a masculine energy and not really hold on to the sensitivities and the qualities that make women so quantum and helping, you know, helping us men to mature that masculine state of um, the lack of awareness that we have been taught through because we've been taught through the idea of building and then receiving. So it's the idea of if we do something, then we should be rewarded and acknowledged. And when we don't feel acknowledged, we don't feel loved. And so then we go looking for where we can get that acknowledgement from. Whereas women feel more complete when they're bringing balance and harmony into a situation where they're, where it was lacking and they feel uh, appreciated when they're being heard and being, um, and being seen and acknowledged in that hearing, in that space of I'm going to hold space for you to be you without any type of you know, false pretenses or anything pushed upon you or any kind of rules or structures or demands. But I'm just going to hold space for you. And I think what's happened is when you look at the way the world is built, right? The world is built in the way government is built. It's built in that very masculine, um, like, we're going to do this, but we're not going to think about how it's going to affect everyone as a whole. We're going to make this decision for this chemical to be put in that food, but we're not going to think about how many people are going to die. And we're going to do this. We're going to cut down all these trees, but we're not going to think about that. It can mess up our ecosystem and mess up the oxygen on the planet. And again, it's the whole idea of like, yeah, I'm rewarding myself, even if I'm rewarding myself through money or through sex, or if I'm rewarding myself through just accolades from people, you know, that's the male energy that needs to be transformed. And the only way that's going to be transformed is when women fully hold strong to who they are and show that there is another element of awareness that is required for men to see so that we can actually operate in harmony with each other and be able to utilize both the masculine and feminine in a synergistic way to create real change. Absolutely. And I don't hear enough people saying that. And so women aren't necessarily educated on that. And I think it's becoming more in the consciousness that women aren't supposed to go into the workplace and be men. That is how a lot of women did succeed in two decades ago um, in these structures. And saying it, hearing it, watching people in those spaces live it and embody that, I think that's that's how we propagate it, but it takes the individual work of the individual woman and individual man who work with the women to, they need to feel comfortable honoring that space that the woman is going to bring as opposed to saying, please be quiet, which is, I think, what I see a lot. And for the woman to not go into the bathroom and cry when when we get that, but to be embodied in that moment to stand in the power that we have and to to stand for those intuitive and compassionate principles that are at our forefront and that need to be, right, go working with those masculine energies. And of course, we have to work within the system 
that we're in. But it, it does take the individual work of that person to stand strong in themselves. And you can see what happens to people in the media. There's, you know, like I said earlier, flip flopper, you might be called a flip flopper, or you express emotion and you're a woman and you're unhinged versus our society needs to see more examples so that we can relate differently with with what what we're seeing. We can trust in that feminine energy that it is guided by intelligence. And because women haven't had as many opportunities to stand in that power, um, and then once they do, they're under immense scrutiny. And if they they fail, it's bigger than failing on the individual level. And we need to look at how we're we're treating treating those women who are stepping up to the plate and how we're reacting to them. Because in some ways, if we're the way we're reacting is that's the mirror of ourselves. And um, there's there's been some significant dysfunction in, in how our systems operate. And and it's difficult to face that. And at first you might want to just hide from it, but but it's important. It's important. Beautifully said. Wow. So, so necessary too. And I think also men need to hold men accountable, you know, because I hold my brothers accountable to making space and acknowledging that it's time to let go of the toxic masculinity and really step into creating synergy. It's not about male or female. It's about creating synergy. But in order to do that, there needs to be an acknowledging, a reckoning, a, uh, a, you know, again, a redemption of sorts, you know, to bring about that type of awareness for so that women feel safe enough to be able to speak and share and illuminate us with the wisdom that they have intrinsically in the nature of their being and us men to be able to not feel threatened by having that level of information and input given to us because it's only supporting us to become even greater through the information being shared. So I think it's absolutely um, amazing. And I really enjoyed this conversation with you. And, you know, I wanted to hear what is your dream for this world? Oh, that's a wonderful question. I, I, I want to see a healed world in a world that is honoring the beauty and, and respecting the earth and living in harmony with it and evolving our technology, not to exploit the world, but to work with it, to cohabitate with it in a much healthier way. My individual self, I'm working on becoming just the most healed and evolved iteration of myself that I can be. And each day I try to, I try to level that up. And I think that's the world that we need to all be participating in. And we don't need to be looking at gossip and but, but philosophy. And we need to be having conversations that move us forward instead of are mired in negativity. And so proliferation of beauty and, and healing are what, what I'd love to, to see in the world. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing us your dream. And um, how can people find you? How can they get in touch with you if they want to you know, support or find out more information from you? Uh, do you have an Instagram or anything? How can people... Sure. My Instagram is more Nikki Moore with M-O-R-E, Nikki, M-O-O-R-E. And I'm always happy to, to talk to anybody. Um, I, I don't really have any 
anything to promote otherwise, but... <laughs> well, you are. You are sharing yeah. wisdom. So you don't have to promote, but you are sharing knowledge and wisdom and ways that people can get involved in maybe helping the prison facilities or bringing meditation or healing to the forefront of these conversations that we just had. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I just want... <laughs> Sorry, I've, you know, I have, I've been a little nervous that about this just because I've had that voice in my head that's wanted to tell me that, that this isn't the space that I should be inhabiting. And I, I know that you wouldn't agree with that. And um, I don't agree with it. And I've, I have been correcting myself. And I just, I appreciate so much everything that you do and all of the wisdom and and beauty that you're bringing into the world. And I am so, I've benefited from it so much. And, and I really, I really love you and honor that. Thank you. I love you too, sweetheart. And I really appreciate you. And I really see you and I stand by you to continue bringing that power and energy through everything you do and really share through show of example, what other women can step into and be triumphant in. And I just want you to know that I appreciate you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, darling. I drive. I'm so happy that we had Nikki Moore on today's Ancient Wisdom today. I get so excited having someone um, who is just such a, a bright light in this world, um, someone who's born to create change, because that's what it means to be a lit leader of legacy. It means that you are born to create change where you can create change. And I think that all of you who listen know that because that's who you are. So to share with you another tribal member, who's a part of our tribe and who's out there creating change in the world, it just, it just brings such joy to my heart. You know, when you go through so much suffering and you go through so much pain as I have growing up as a kid, I always used to think about other kids who were going through similar things that didn't have the same resource spiritually and strength that I had. How did they make it through? Are they making it through? Do they have what they need? What happens to them if they don't? Do they turn to crime? Do they end up ending their lives? Do they go to drugs and alcohol? Do they become, you know, uh, parents that are abusive as well? Or do they turn to love and become healers? You know, all these things used to go through my mind as a child. And I used to say to myself, I'm going to turn all of these things that I've gone through into something that can support the people. Because I think the greatest way you can live your life is to look at what resources you have available and the knowledge and information you have since the time you were a child to where you are now, which is all a part of your learning and remembering and utilize those experiences, not as woe is me, my life sucks, but how can I make a difference in the world from what I have available, what resources I have, what intelligence I have, what emotional intelligence I have, and what physical strength I have. You know, everyone, everyone and anyone can make a difference in the world. I knew this guy in my neighborhood that would literally pick up trash on everyone's block, you know, and maybe he didn't have other resources, but he had the resource to pick up trash. And he did that and people noticed him and finally started going to him and saying, thank you. And he's like, I'm just doing my part, you know, and it was such a beautiful thing to hear him say something like that because that's what it's about. It's about us realizing that we don't have to do it because we're forced by a system that tells us 
we have to do these things or we're not going to survive. The truth of the matter is there would be so much more joy in life if it was just given to us in the sense that we get to support our planet and our species to thriving and being able to live and have our resources taken care of so that we can give. And I think that's the ultimate key to success is not having lots of material things. It's having what you need to feel taken care of and loved so that you can then give to others so that they can feel taken care of and loved. And what I love about having Nikki Moore, um, she's such an amazing being. She's a tribal member and she's out there, you know, you know, bringing information into the world to support people who don't have the ability to come out of the situations of oppression from the government and from the system itself. And I really love the conversation we have. And I really just want to touch on some things that really touched me. So, you know, having someone like her be a part of the tribe and being out there, you know, being a First Amendment lawyer, a journalist, and who's here to really correct, you know, people's way of of living and the way of experiencing life. You know, everything from police misconduct. I mean, you know how many cops out there who are creating misconduct and who should be serving and protecting from a place of love and dignity and honor and respect? I have a lot of friends who are police officers. I'm not against police officers at all. No way. I think there's a lot of police officers who are out there who put their heart and their soul to really protecting and really creating a world that we can be in that's safe. But then there's ones out there who are not doing that and, you know, and who are getting away with misconduct and who are operating against this, uh, the people. And I think, you know, having someone like Nikki, you know, draw light to those things. And when you are a lit leader, you are here to create change where you can. You know, the government wants to squelch people's power. That's a given. It wants to squelch your power and it wants to run its authority over the people and you have to obey by these things. And having someone like Nikki who grew up in Arkansas, who felt like her voice wasn't heard, which is also a form of suppression and oppression, also being a woman and growing up in a very religious family and feeling like her understanding of religion was that women are to be subservient to men and that she doesn't have a voice and that you're supposed to do all of these things and you get granted to go to the kingdom of heaven. So for her, she wanted to find her truth and she moved to California, which she feels like is home, which I do as well. And, you know, she she's here to challenge the system the same way she had to challenge herself to speak her voice when she was told she's not allowed to speak. Because we have to have a voice to ask questions so that we can understand why certain things are happening. And she's right, you know? And I think that the more we ask questions and be open to hearing the answers and stay flexible in our knowledge of gathering, we'll be able to really understand what's going on. And I think what happens is people get very um, one way of seeing things because they've been indoctrinated so many times in hearing it and then put fear-based ideas behind it that make them fear asking those questions. And I think that, you know, a kid who can't ask their parents questions Like a kid should ask their parents, like, why are you so angry all the time? You know, and parents should be honest. You're right. I am angry. I do need to look at that. And I need to take responsibility for it. And thank you for bringing that to my attention. No, instead, parents get upset and like, you don't have the right to ask me that question. No, actually, I do. You know, we have a right to ask questions. We have a right 
to find out the truth about what our system is doing when it comes to oppressing us as people. We have a right, and we have a right to question religion. We have a right to question these types of authorities that say, if you don't do this, then this horrible thing's going to happen to you. And if you don't do this, then you're not going to go to heaven. And if you don't do this, you're not going to have this done or this thing. You know, it's not okay anymore on our planet to be living in fear of asking a simple question as of why. And I think for her to be able to ask that question to herself, which is, why am I allowing myself to be oppressed in my family and the people around me? Why am I allowing that? And that's a question she had to ask herself. And that's something, that's what I took from her experience in her growing up, was that she didn't just get there because someone pushed her to where she had to go. She got there because she got tired of being silenced. And she stopped focusing on the outside of asking the questions of why aren't you allowing me to speak to going to the inside and asking, why aren't you allowing me to speak? Why aren't you like accepting yourself to get out of this situation of oppression? Why aren't you asking the questions that need to be asked? And that led her into her journalism because that's what journalists do. They're there to uncover the hidden truths or to uncover that which people won't ask questions about to find out the information. And so for her to get to that stage, and that's the reason why I'm bringing this up, for her to get to that stage, she had to ask those questions onto herself to be able to free herself, to go to college, to get her degree, to become a lawyer, a First Amendment lawyer, to become the journalist, to become a person who's in the government, um, confronting them and, you know, and really bringing up these laws to protect the people. You know, it's really important that you understand that because no one gets there just because you get there when you're tired of seeking the validation from the outside and you're tired of asking the questions of why won't you let me be who I am to asking that question to yourself. It's the same thing I had to do for me. It was like, why dad, did you walk away from shamanism? Why are you making it wrong when this is our roots? And these powers are showing up in me like they showed up in you, like they show up in our other family members. And why aren't you supporting me to move through this? Why are you not giving me the answers to handle these spirits that are coming at me? Why are you making me feel like it's not okay because the world doesn't say it's okay anymore, but it was okay for you as a kid when you were surrounded by the family and protected and insulated, but it wasn't okay when times changed and you wanted to hide and the family decided to hide in Catholicism. So when you read, so when you read stories about, you know, my Aunt Shirley, who's the world-famous opera singer, she talks about Catholicism, but she doesn't talk about our roots in our Yoruban and the shamanism because they had to hide it because they had to be accepted by people and not be considered freaks or weird or doing voodoo or whatever people have their mind on when they think about African spirituality, which is not the case at all. Uh, so again, I'm asking him, why don't you support me? Why don't you love me through this? Why don't you help me understand it? To finally, I was just like, you know what? As a kid, I was like, you know, I'm not going to ask you anymore. I'm going to go to the family members 
who haven't shut down completely and who are still honoring those ways. And then I'm going to ask myself the question, why am I looking for his validation to knowing who I am? Why am I looking towards him to give me the the okay to be me? Or why am I asking him to help me understand it when I have the ability to understand it? And that is what we call a pivotal point in evolution. When you realize at that moment, the questions that you've been asking on the outside or what you've been waiting for on the outside has actually been waiting for you on the inside. And for her to get to that point of growing up in a Christian religious family where women serve men, it had to be something she had to go inside so that she could understand who she is so that when she steps into the role that she's come here to step into, she is going to do it with power because all of the upbringing that you have in your life are literally your training and remembrance to who you've come to be. So if you have had nothing but relationship problems, relationship problems, relationship problems, relationship problems, that's because you're going for your PhD in relationships. And it doesn't have to be through a school system that would only give you a certain amount of information about relationships as regarding, you know, psychology or, you know, being a relationship therapist, but literally having firsthand knowledge of it through your own life experiences. Now that in itself is more learning and remembering than you would get from reading a textbook and going into a class and and auditing a class with the professor talking to you about things that you could just figure out on your own because of your life experience. And so, yes, I'm not saying that you can't go to college and go to school. Please, if you feel like you're going to get something from that, by all means, go. In my path, that wasn't for me because there was nothing that the institution or school offered me about understanding emotional development and spiritual um, technology of intellect and adaptation of humanity that shamanism taught me firsthand and gave me more understanding of anthropology, more understanding of sociology, more understanding of the body. And the only time I went to school was to learn physiology, kinesiology, pathology, and so forth so that I can get under my belt the knowledge of how the body operates. But other than that, I already knew the spiritual aspect, so I just moved it over with the knowledge that I got from there. So you take knowledge where you can, but the most important thing is that you don't need anyone's permission to be great. And that's something that's really important, especially for her, for Nikki, because for her to step into a role where it's a masculine built, you know, it's a masculine built system. You know, it is politics, government, you know, as she said, it was built by the forefathers, not the foremothers, right? It's built by men and it's built in the perspective of men, which is very linear. It's not quantum. It's not intuitive. It's not looking at the emotional capacities of evolution through how we degrade and how we upgrade humanity by certain ways we interact and build systems that either are supporting people or depleting from people, right? And so, you know, going into that understanding that the structure that you're stepping into is a masculine structure that is founded by fathers who are not about founding people. So it's not founded by people of different cultures and beliefs. Like, you can imagine if a lot of this government was built by women, men, different cultures, different beliefs and how they perceive um, feminine, masculine, 
we would have a very different government. And so because it was built by men, it operates in that same way. So there's punishment and there is retribution and there are laws. And when you break them, there's these intense retributions. And so you have, you know, you don't have the understanding of the human development for the people, the thriving factor of adaptation for humanity built into the government. The government is based on boxes and rules and check marks. And so when you go in there as a woman from it, without it having um, that structure put in place for women, you have to actually really be strong to know who you are, right? Because there still is the fear of women in an intuition in the workplace. And that this is not just in law. This is also in other workplaces and corporations and so forth. Women's intuition is now starting to rise and become more um, uh, represented because men are now starting to come out of their shells and say, hey, we need you because things are getting really bad and we need you to help us and we need you to be there by us to bring forth this feminine wave of technology so that the masculine wave doesn't destroy our inability to cohabitate on this planet and the only thing that's going to be left on this planet after we're done operating in the masculine without the feminine is cockroaches because we're going to basically destroy all of our resources because we don't understand the balance, which is what the feminine aspect and the intuitive aspect brings in and understanding the nature of adaptation and human development and emotional well-being and all of these things that I thought was really profound in our conversation. And so the thing that I love what she said is the key is not to take down the system, it's to improve the system. And a woman's perspective is definitely needed in society for redemption, especially if we're going to be putting prisoners in prisons when they're overfilled and they're not getting the real support and care. And I'm sure there's some people out there are like, yeah, but they did all these crimes. They deserve it. Well, you know what? We are here as human beings uh, to grow and to learn and to be able to move into different ways of alchemy on our planet where we can come from one place to another place. So if we're going to hold ourselves um, in a place of judgment and persecution, then we all should be persecuted. We all should be judged. If, that, if one person is going to be judged, then let's, let us all be judged because no one on this planet is without fault for things that they have done because they didn't have the information or the right intellect or emotional intelligence not to make those choices can tell you, you can go through your whole life and you can find all the places in your life where you could have made different choices and chose love over fear. So again, we have to look at redemption. We have to be willing to look at rehabilitation for prisoners and for people in our lives. We cannot continue putting people up on crosses like we're living in the dark ages and we're, we're on Christian crusades going around killing people and saying it's the name of God because you've sinned, you need to forever be burned in a fiery pit. This is not the way to evolve a species. And this old paradigm of an eye begets an eye is, is not supportive of our adaptation on this planet. And we will literally self-destruct our own human race from existing on this planet because we do not understand the feminine nature and the understanding of what it means to cultivate change when change is needed at what time. And so we, and you know, what I love what she is saying is that 
you know, when you're in a system such as government or being a lawyer or in the work situation, a lot of times people are not looking at conscious capitalism. They're looking at profit. They're looking at margins, numbers, and figures. They're not looking at humanity and the soul and the divinity that lives within us. Longevity is, is, is not being representative in the system. We need to build a new system. And we do. We really do. We need to build a new system because it was built in a masculine projection. And we have to shift out of the masculine into moving into feminine with the masculine as a synergy of information and intellect. We are holding on to an old paradigm that is literally making the floor crumble beneath us because it's becoming a destructive, poisonous um, energy and we need to let it go so it can transform back into the light. So in order for us to move forward, we have to start acknowledging that. So if all races had a part in making a part um, of the government, the structure of the government, we would have a very different world. You see, we need to be inventive and to create the we, the people consciousness that we want to be. And I love that Nikki said that because that touches deeply in my being and every breath and every post I put on Instagram for content and every time I teach a course and every time I speak and share on ancient wisdom and have conversations and interviews, these are the things that I'm thinking about. The people, the people, the people, the people. And when we, when we make successes in life, my successes are your successes. When I make money, I make money not just for me, but for ways that I can support the people. So when we understand that, we create a wellspring, a new inventive way of creating a collective surge of the new human on planet Earth. And we have the ability to do this because the truth of the matter is, is that the system has to support adaptation. It has to support emotional well-being. It has to support emotional, mental intelligence that is operating on the idea of a human becoming the best they can be. Not you messed up, you did bad, and you're going to suffer for the rest of your life. It's like we have to shift out of those old narratives, right? We have to understand that a lot of times I'll hear people say, oh, that woman, she's so masculine in the workplace. She forgot who she is as a woman. Well, she has to understand um, that the masculine and feminine lives in her. And the male has to understand the masculine and feminine lives in him. And when I say you have to understand, because you do, because in African spirituality, you hold both masculine and feminine energy. And in African spirituality, sometimes the man has to be feminine and sometimes he has to be masculine and sometimes the woman has to be masculine and sometimes she has to be feminine. And it's about gauging when those points come out and not limiting them or holding them back because of some societal construct that says you can't. This is about stepping into a new paradigm. It's okay for men to be feminine. It's okay for men to cry. It's okay for men to step, step, uh, step into their intuition. It's okay for women to understand structure and understanding economics and getting into building structures that support, but it's guided by their feminine nature. So the feminine nature, as Nikki says, guides the masculine energy, just as the masculine energy is being governed by the energy inside of male, but it's also allowing the feminine energy to come out and it's also being guided 
by the masculine energy. So therefore, it becomes this beautiful, cohesive, um, collective energy that supports everyone and the animals and nature and the whole entire system. And this is how we up-level our lives. And so instead of, you know, us constantly persecuting, I mean, even in Norway, where I am right now, there are prisons in Norway where you have people who've done crazy crimes, okay? And they live in a house where they have knives and they have cookery and they make food and they work with horses and they go out on the farm and there's like one guard and it's not even a guard. It's just a person who lives nearby who checks on them and sees how everything's getting along. They have knives. They could be stabbing and shanking each other all night long, but they don't because they're given the opportunity to return back to their humanity. We in prisons in America, we treat people with, with no humanity. We, we, we treat them just because they've done all these things. We treat them like the worst, worst imaginable thing on the planet. We don't create a constructive rehabilitation and we don't create enough um, adaptive resources to be able to assist them coming back into um, society. And so when they do get back into society from their parole, they go back and do a crime again because they just don't feel like they have enough resources and they have enough tools to be able to continue to be a part of society. And that's our fault. It's our fault because we just allow it to happen and we live our lives and we pay our bills and we go home, we take care of our kids and we do all these things. And we're not thinking about all the other people in the world who don't have the tools and the resources that we have so that we can actually up-level our lives. And this is what it means to be a leader of legacy is whatever you have capability to change and, and support, you do it. So I'm really happy to have Nikki Moore on um, Ancient Wisdom today. I could listen to that conversation over and over and over and over again. And it just re-inspires everything about my life. And, you know, I, you know, I even felt like a lot. I remember when I was in LA and I started seeing billboards all over the place popping up with you know, uh, marijuana deliveries and all this stuff. And then I knew that there's so many people who have, you know, 40, 50 years in prison for marijuana, um, you know, farming and, you know, all this type of stuff. And they're sitting in prison while everyone's outside, you know, doing these things because they wanted to, you know, farm, you know, marijuana to support people who are sick with illnesses and so forth. And they got incarcerated because the law said no. And now the law says yes, and they're still sitting in prisons. And people like Nikki, who's helping them get out, to me, that's a champion. Love you. I've created the Healing Temple because people all over the world want and need healing, but don't have the access to those healers or can't afford them. One of the biggest high-ticket items in the world today is remote healing, but some sessions cost hundreds to even thousands of dollars. And for only $10, the Healing Temple is a collective space for people to come together every Friday for 30 minutes. Participants are opening a wellspring of abilities, alleviating stress and brain fog, where the mind becomes more optimized and performance-based, and where you learn to utilize energy to up-level your consciousness. The Healing Temple also helps to break down walls where you begin operating in awareness of wellness, feeling ambitious and inspired like things are really changing in your life. Inside the Healing Temple, you're also stepping into a world where you might experience phenomenons that you thought wasn't possible. 
something as small as a chill or the hair standing on the back of your neck becomes like an opening door. Some members have even said they've experienced increased psychic abilities and that these sensations have intensified with following sessions. I've trained my powers to impact change and I've learned how to get results. Who doesn't want to feel good? The Healing Temple is not only beneficial to you, but also to those around you. Because when you're feeling good, you shine that positive energy onto others. Your partner, your children, co-workers, even your dog or your cat. Everyone around you begins to feel better because you are feeling better. It's a rippling effect that's much needed on this planet. We need the Healing Temple more than ever right now because of all that's happening in the world, the social political structures, calamities, chaos, and feelings of hopelessness and despair. The social climate is on high and this pressure cooker is taking a negative toll on how many of us feel. The Healing Temple offers comfort on a global level because when more people are feeling good, the more kindness, generosity, and realness is generated. For only $10, I invite you to become part of the community that seeks to do good, to feel good, and to make this world a better place. Go to shamandurek.com and click the Healing Temple to join our wellspring of healing, restoration, and elevated consciousness. See you in the temple. Thank you so much for tuning in to Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. Tribe, I love you all so much. And if you want to stay connected, be sure to check me out on IG at Shaman Durek. And if you have any questions whatsoever, please visit shamandurek.com or contact info at shamandurek.com to learn more. And remember, tribe, no matter what, stay lit.